Isn't that video so true that what our children see in us speaks volumes in addition to what we say? So I'm going to give you a head start. You can go ahead and be uh, turning to Proverbs 4. It'll take a bit for us to actually dive in there, but um, go ahead and be turning there. And so in honor of Father's Day, we're going to be looking at a straight-up dad text. Like, this is, this is a pure dad text, but it's still applicable to anybody that's, that's here. Uh, obviously, the Word of God applies not just to dads, but it's going to apply to um, husband, wife, and, and, and child. So there's no excuse for tuning out. Um, hopefully, you don't. But if nothing else, try to, try to stay tuned in. Make sure husband or dad's listening. Uh, it's a, this is a, a text of exhortation, and so uh, to be appropriate, it's a message of exhortation. Uh, you know, we've had multiple dad experiences, so I can look across the room, and I know some of you, and I don't know some of you, but what I know is that there's multiple dad experiences represented in this room, and those range, those range anywhere from amazing experiences to absolutely horrific experiences. And for some of us, non-existent experiences. Um, Our dad experiences influence us whether we want them to or not. They're a large part of the foundation that's built up as we become men or oversized boys. They usually result in some of the thoughts as we grow up, such as, If it was an excellent experience, it may sound something like, I'm going to do this as a dad because that's how my dad taught me. Obviously, you've had a good experience if that's your thought. You may think, I will never do that as a dad because I couldn't stand it when my dad did that. And we may have some of those experiences in the room. And then some of you may say, I wish I would have had a dad to show me how to do that, whatever that is. See, dads, we're tasked with a great responsibility to love, to lead, and to teach. That's a high calling. This is, quite honestly, this is an area that fires me up. A, because I'm a dad, because I got three kids of my own. But, but maybe even just as importantly, from the pastoral standpoint, I see so many broken families, and so many dads not carrying the torch. As Matt Chandler put it in a recent sermon that I listened to, says there are so many dads and husbands who are punting on their marriages and God-given responsibilities. For those of you who aren't sports guys, punting is not good. You're giving the ball back to the other team, which means now you are not in possession of it. Somebody else is in possession of the direction of your children. So my prayer for this text, my prayer for this sermon has been three three things. I hope that you're impacted in three ways. Some of us just need to be challenged. We need to see the high calling of a dad. We need to get in the game. We need to crush it. And so everything else I say after this, I want you to know this isn't me saying, man, I'm doing a great job and I hope you guys do a great job too. This is me saying some of the most growth that happens within me is as I prepare to 
preach a text because God deals with me and it's like God starts to convict me and I realize I'm not living up to the standard of perfection and then where does that put me? That puts me back to needing Jesus. So I want us to be challenged today and see that calling. For some of you, I just want you to, uh, maybe you need to be comforted by this text. Maybe you had that negative or non-existent experience but I want it to be comforting because your children's story doesn't have to be your story. You have an opportunity to change the direction and the legacy of your family. And for some of us, I want this to convict us. I, I think some of us just need to see that we really don't have anything good to offer on our own. That's the whole story of the Bible is that we don't have anything good to offer on our own. We are in need of a savior. And so some of you are trying to play dad or be dad. And really, you're never going to be great at that until you realize that you're not king. You're not God. You need a savior. And so for us that are in that boat, I hope this convicts us and moves us in that direction. Since we're looking at Proverbs, I think it's important for us because there's not a lot of, you don't hear a ton of preaching out of Proverbs. In, in a sense, it can be a little difficult to preach Proverbs. Um, so I think we need to be reminded of some things that Proverbs are probabilities. They're truisms. They're not promises, right? So we can't look at Proverbs. We can't pluck out a verse and say, well, Proverbs says, therefore, this always should happen. It's wisdom for daily living, one commentary, the Theology of Work Bible Commentary, says the central concern of Proverbs is to live life in awe of God. Or as one of, one of our own East Tennessee great uh, theologian Justin Self puts it. We were at small group, uh, and for some of you that don't know Justin, he's, he's part of this church in our small group. Uh, God just gifted him with a, a wonderful mind, um, and yeah, so he just kind of oozes out um, just a lot of knowledge about the word of God. So we were in small group a couple months ago and we were talking, somehow Proverbs came up and some of the dads were standing around and he said, he said, I, I believe, I believe I can sum up Proverbs in one statement. And we said, okay. He said, learn and live or live and learn. And isn't that so true? Right? So we're either going to we're either going to learn some truths about God and some some ways to live our life and then we're going to live those things out because now they're part of us, they're in us, or we're going to live our life and we're going to realize we should have learned some truths because we're going to face a life of hard knocks. See, I, I think that can still be confusing, though. There's another commentary, and I'm going to read some of this because I think it makes a great point. It says, think about some of these verses. If I love wine and olive oil, will I never be rich? Because if you read Proverbs 21, 17, that's what you would tend to think. If I wink at someone, is it, is it always perverse? Proverbs 16, 30 would lead you to believe that. To be a wife with a noble character. Does a woman need to rise before dawn? Proverbs 31, 15. Some of you are like, 
Peace. I'm out. <laughs> Plan B. Apparently, I'm not noble. If I raise my kids properly, give them the right start, will their life always turn out the way I desire? Because Proverbs 22, 6 seems to point us in that direction. Will a sluggard always cause his own death because he refuses to work? Proverbs 21, 25 seems to lead us to believe that. It's tempting to think of Proverbs as formulas for success or failure. It's tempting to read them as promises for good behavior or warnings for bad behavior. But wisdom literature is not meant to be formulaic. One can think of dozens of exceptions for all kinds of wise sayings in the book of Proverbs. Instead of reading each proverb literally, we need to see the truths communicated here more like patterns of truth. They help point the reader toward a life of wisdom. But they're not a guarantee of a certain action equaling a certain result. Wisdom literature is really to be reflected upon and pondered. So for example, here's how this plays out in the New Testament. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Jesus appears to hint at that wisdom found in this proverb. In Matthew 6.34, he says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus himself is taking that proverb and he's applying it. So the truth behind the proverb is universal and it's found repeated throughout Scripture. That's what we can pluck out from these Proverbs and hang on to. I'll give you some other examples of how this may play out. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. See, so that would tell us that diligence and hard work likely will lead to success. Proverbs 29, 17 says, Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. What that shows us is that properly disciplining our children will likely lead to us not having brats. That would help if we all did that. I said in the first service, I'll invite you over if you don't have brats. I'll hang out with you. It's, it's a blessing, not just to you when your kids aren't brats, but to everybody you're around. Let's take a hold of that proverb. <laughs> Proverbs 18.6, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. So guarding your tongue likely leads to not getting punched in the mouth. Is that not a great life lesson? Yeah. Right? Some people in elementary school had to find that out the, the hard way. They live and then learn instead of learn and then live. Not messing around with somebody else's wife will likely lead to a higher chance of staying alive, right? Because Proverbs 6, 34 says, for jealousy makes a man furious. He will not spare when he takes a revenge. And I'll be up front with you. If you come after my wife... I'm going to be starting a prison ministry from the inside. <laughs> Guaranteed. Turn the other cheek. Nope. I'm telling you. Don't wink at her. Don't look at her. I'm a, jealous, I'm a jealous man, and God is a jealous God. See, so Proverbs is part of this wisdom literature, but what is wisdom? Right? We got we to know what we're talking about, Right? We just keep throwing around the term wisdom. It's not going to help us until we have a workable definition of wisdom. 
One commentary says that wisdom in its most general meaning is the acquired learning that helps one know what to do in a given situation. Dr. Charles Stanley defines wisdom as the ability to live life skillfully. Jimmy actually preached a a sermon on wisdom uh, back in March as part of a series called Unsatisfied. It was actually out of the book of Ecclesiastes, so a lot of crossover here because it's the same, same Solomon that wrote Ecclesiastes is the same Solomon we'll be talking about today. But But in that sermon, he was talking about godly wisdom and earthly wisdom and the fact that earthly wisdom does have some value, but it's ultimately unsatisfying. And so what we need is godly wisdom, and we'll look at that. But in that sermon, he gave a definition, and I think that's the definition we can run with and work with, is that living, definition of wisdom is living life according to the truth of God. Are we living life according to the truth of God. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 1.7, this is one of the anchor uh, verses of the entire book of Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So are we gonna live life according to the truth of God are we going to fear God? Are we, are we going to see God for who he is and then follow him according to his ways? That's the question. Let's go ahead and read the text and then I'm going to provide a little bit of background just as far as David and Solomon and then we'll dive in for just a few minutes. Verse one says, of chapter four in Proverbs, hear, O sons, a father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one on the side of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And so setting the scene of this proverb, Solomon is exhorting his sons. And he's exhorting his sons based on the exhortation that was given to him from his dad, David. And I want to I connect the dots there. So if we'll go back to 1 Kings 2, it'll be up on the screen. If you want to turn to it, you're welcome to. But this is at the end of David's life. So the, David is king of Israel, and he's getting ready to pass this along, this leadership, this position along to his son Solomon. And it says, when David's time to draw near, time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go to the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, 
to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart, with all their soul. You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And that's what's playing itself out at this point. And then it actually goes on in verse 12 to say that, so Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. All right, so the, the reigns have been passed. Solomon's now king. Very next chapter, 1 Kings 3. Let's see what Solomon does when he's confronted by God. Solomon loved the Lord, 1 Kings 3, 3. He loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David, his father, right? So he took what David taught him, and now he's carrying those things out. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. So God shows up to Solomon in a dream. He says, what do you need from me? Ask. Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and an uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on the throne this day. He's saying, that's why I'm here. You've given this throne to me, God. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, and some scholars would say he's probably somewhere in the ballpark of 20 years old at this point. He said, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is capable to govern this, your great people? Solomon asked for wisdom. And it said, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is, what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and a discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall rise after you. All right, so that's our background. David passes it off. Solomon, based on what David had taught him, knew that he needed to ask God, right? He asked for wisdom. And so now we're in the text in Proverbs 4. And, and Solomon's exhorting his children, his sons, to do the same thing. The main idea today is that fathers are to get wisdom and teach wisdom in hopes that their children get wisdom and teach wisdom. So we've got a core value, which is kind of part of our DNA. It's who we are here at, at True Life that we are disciples who make other disciples. This is essentially what we're saying as dads. If you have been graced with the opportunity and called into fatherhood, you are called to be a disciple who makes disciples. So as we, as we look at this, let's remember, we're observing universal truths. And then wisdom literature, because it's to be reflected upon and pondered, we're going we're gonna to consider some questions. 
Verse one starts with, hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. Solomon says, listen up, hear me, pay attention, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one on the side of my mother, he taught me and said to me, and then he goes on the entire rest of the passage, he's quoting his, his father. But see, here's the deal. He gets their attention. Fathers are to teach wisdom to their children. That's our jobs, guys. And the home is the primary arena for it. Amen. He says, hear, O sons. He's desperately trying to impart this wisdom that God has blessed him with, and he doesn't want his sons to make mistakes. Now, some of you that know your Bible say, well, this doesn't make any sense. Because if he had all this wisdom, Solomon lived a sketchy, like he lived a sketchy life, right? David made some sketchy decisions. The whole reason Solomon was here, because David's with his mom, Solomon's mom is Bathsheba. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband killed, and then that child ended up dying, and then they went on to have Solomon. So even though they, they're exhorting them to get wisdom, that doesn't mean they're perfect. That should give us hope. Just because we are exhorting our kids and trying to get their attention, dads, doesn't mean we have to be perfect. But we need to know where to point them. My question is, are you calling for your, dad, for your children's attention? Are you calling for your children's attention? Hear, O oh sons. I think in this culture, a lot of that work is left up to mom. Hey, hey, listen up, listen up so mama can teach you. There is absolutely nothing wrong with a mom speaking into the life of her kids. It's a blessing, it's her duty, it's her responsibility. God's wired her to kind of speak to some of those things, but that is not her, it's not all on her. And for us as men, whether we're men of the church, to just assume, hey, mom will take care of that. I'm, you know, I'm just a, I'm more of a blue collar guy. I'm more of a, I just go work and I provide and I'll let mom do the teaching. You are missing an opportunity to get your children's attention. Everywhere and everything else outside of the arena of the home is supplemental. And once again, guys, I'm not saying that I got this mastered by any means. God has brought conviction over what I'm doing in my home as I prepare. We can't say, well, man, I send my kids to Christian school. You don't know what I pay for. I mean, that's why I send them there, so I don't have to do it. That's a poor excuse. Well, man, you don't know, man. I got, I got my kids here every day. The, the doors are open at the church. I'm here. Like, I even come to the quarterly prayer and worship service, reset. Like, I'm that kind of Christian. I'm here all the time. Great. Praise God. That's not a, that, that doesn't take away your responsibility. 
Fathers are to teach their children wisdom. We're the ones to be in a position to get their attention. He says, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. He doesn't say, listen up. He doesn't say, hey, go turn on Right Now Media or YouTube. Let's see if we can find somebody that can teach it better. There probably is somebody that can teach it better, but you know what? That somebody isn't their dad. And you have a unique opportunity to speak into the life of your children. And it's not just an opportunity, it's a responsibility. Don't mistake my passion for anger. I'm not mad at you. I just want us to get it, guys. Here's the deal. You can only teach what you have. Jimmy said this in Sermon on Mother's Day about disciplining, disciplining our children. I said, man, I could have given you the main idea of that sermon. Discipline your kids so you don't have brats. I mean, that, that'll preach, I'm telling you. But he said, you can't give what you don't have, right? You can't lead where you've not been. And I would say you can't teach what you don't have. So my question is, guys, do you have wisdom? Do you have something to give? If you don't, we can point you in the right direction. To remember the definition, living life according to the truth of God. That's our working definition of wisdom. Living life according to the truth of God. What we're not saying is, do you have knowledge? I don't care how much you know. I don't care how many verses you can quote to your kids. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is saying, I'm, gonna, I'm not only going to teach you this. One of, the, one of the, please don't say this. At least don't say it around me if you can. I hate this statement. Do as I say, not as I do. That's stupid. It's applied knowledge. Are you living a life of wisdom, which means you are applying what you know about the truth of God? We've all got some friends that try to speak into your lives, or maybe, maybe you don't, maybe they're not friends anymore, but like we've all got these friends, right? You ever had, you ever had your broke friend try to give you financial advice? <laughs> you don't listen, Right? You don't say like, oh, well, they seem really wise. Like, you ever had your, yeah, your friend's like, hey, man, I think I would, if I was you, I'd go take out a personal loan as much as you can get. I'd, I'd get all your savings. I'd put it all into Bitcoin. You'll, it, I mean, that's not very diversified, right? You ever had that friend, like, every relationship they're in, they'd mess it up? Just jacked up situations. And then you happen to be around them and you have a, you're working through something with your spouse and they want to speak into that, like, hey, here's what you need to do. Nope. <laughs> Proof's in the pudding. I don't know if anybody, if y'all work out, go to the gym. I work out with my neighbor in his basement now, so now we can grunt and squeal like sissies and nobody makes fun of us. But when we were working out at the gym, the, I mean, this is one of the beauty, like, you have to pay for this, right? You gotta have a gym membership, but it's totally worth it. You get so much unsolicited advice at the gym, whether you want it or not. And, but here's the thing. I, 
I got some unsolicited advice multiple times from a guy that I actually took. You know why? Because he came over to me. I'm like, okay, this guy's fit. Apparently what he's doing is working. And he tells me, he's like, man, I'm just telling you. Um, I don't remember how he put it. He basically said some friendly advice. Basically, I'm gonna say this whether you wanna hear it or not. He said, if you wanna save your knees by the time you're 50, you know, I'd tweak a few things with how you're doing your squats. I was like, makes sense. I really do want my knees when I'm 50. I think I'll try it. (laughs) But I've gotten a lot of other unsolicited advice from guys that are like, hey, won't you try it? (laughs) Just quit talking. I'm not gonna do it. Whatever you're saying, like it's not working for you. And until I see some proof, I'm not gonna do it. Do you have wisdom? Are you applying that knowledge of God to your life? Because that's how you're gonna be able to teach your kids to get wisdom. And it's your responsibility, Dad. So how did Solomon get wisdom? Well, we read in 1 Kings 3, what did he do? He asked for it. Somebody answered that. He asked for it. And I don't wanna, I don't wanna play biblical gymnastics here and I wanna read something into it that's not there, but, but I don't think this is a far stretch. Think through this with me. Why do you think he asked for wisdom? So, so he's quoting his dad all throughout Proverbs 4 and what's he quoting? What's his dad told him? Get wisdom, get wisdom, son. And so when he comes to a place in his life and God says, what do you need? Don't you think the foundation that was laid by King David sprouted up and Solomon said, oh yeah, dad said, above all else, I need to get wisdom. And it played itself out and he asked for wisdom. All right, this isn't a trick question. How do we get wisdom? (laughs) Man, you are sharp. Ask. We actually said this verse in the call and response, James 1.5. This is one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite verses as a husband, as a dad, and as a leader. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. See, guys, we're wired in a way that we like to fix things, right? We like to make things right other than fights with our wives, which somehow we always tend to just run from. But for the most part, if it's broken, we want to fix it. If you've got a problem, you come to me, I can tell you in 30 seconds how to fix it. Just go do it. So our default is often to figure things out on our own. God, I don't know what to do in this situation. Oh, let's brainstorm. Why do we not start by asking God for wisdom? God's, you can come up with a bunch of stupid and bad ideas that aren't gonna get you anywhere, or you can say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do in parenting. I don't know how to teach wisdom to my kids. Ask God. All right, so... We say that, but I think that can fall short at times too. Because I think some of us, 
We wouldn't know to ask God because we're not pointing our kids to Jesus anyways. Maybe we don't have a relationship with Christ. Like, why would we ask for wisdom? So what I want us to see, verse five, he says, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. So once again, trying to get their attention, trying to drive home this point. Verse seven, he says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Whatever you do, get wisdom. But see, when we're teaching our children, if that's, if we buy into that and we say, okay, we're gonna teach our kids above all else, we wanna live life honoring God and being obedient to his word. We wanna teach them to get wisdom. We're ultimately pointing them to Jesus Christ. Teaching our children to get wisdom is ultimately pointing them to Jesus. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We read that, Proverbs 9, 10. All right, so to fear God that's the beginning of wisdom. We can't, we can't have a godly wisdom apart from a healthy fear of God. And this isn't this cowering fear. This is just seeing God for who he is. Seeing God as creator and master and ruler. Seeing God as perfect and holy. Because when we see God for who he is and we begin to get that reverent fear of him, we begin to gain wisdom. But we realize in light of who God is, we are sinful. We are broken. We are messed up. We are separated from God apart from Jesus Christ. So to teach our children to get wisdom is really to see God for who he is, see ourselves for who we are, which points us back to Jesus Christ. It shows our children a need for a savior. Wisdom is ultimately found in Jesus. Jimmy said, God's wisdom is not discovered, but is re revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. See, I wanna look at the New Testament for just a minute because I wanna show you this connection. Colossians 2 Paul's writing to the church at Colossae and he says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Check this out. In whom, who are we talking about? Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want wisdom? You need Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He became to us wisdom from God. He is God who came to earth and he fully embodied this wisdom that we're desiring and that we're teaching our kids. And then he says about himself, Jesus says about himself in Matthew, Matthew 12, 42, says the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba. And so this is, he's referring back to Solomon. Solomon 
God gave him all the wisdom in the world. You're the, you're the wisest man on earth from those before you and those after you. So if you go to 1 Kings chapter 4, the very next chapter after we read that Solomon asked for wisdom, what we see is that people from the ends of the earth flock to Solomon because they want to, they want to experience this wisdom that he, that he has because he didn't muster it up. It was from God and word spread. This was like before social media. People just realized like this was whispering and, and I don't know how they got the message to everybody. Maybe they by donkey or something, but somebody got the message out that this dude's got wisdom and they flocked. And so this is what happens. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So this queen came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And listen, indeed a greater than Solomon is here. The greater than Solomon is Jesus. He embodies wisdom. He is wisdom. So when he tells his sons here based on what what his dad's told him to get wisdom. Get means at all cost, at all cost, whatever it takes, get wisdom. Doesn't that sound a lot like the New Testament? Whatever it takes, give everything up and get Jesus. Right, the rich, I think last week, maybe at least within the past couple of weeks, Jimmy referenced this uh, passage where the rich man comes to Jesus and he's like, I've done all these things. What else? And Jesus knew his heart. He said, Sell all, follow me. It's not a message that we all have to sell everything we have and be poor in the name of Christianity. But what it says is, whatever we're hanging on to, that we're saying this is more important than you, get rid of it. At all cost, give it all up to get Jesus. So I mentioned that I want this text to comfort some of you. In Solomon's case, he was continuing a legacy, a legacy that was left by David. In East Tennessee terms, I think he was telling his boys, hey, listen up, this is what Papaw David had to say. Lean in. I want your attention. But see, some of you don't have that story. Some of you can't say, when I was a son with my father, he taught me and said to me, but here's what you can. You can get wisdom. You can come to Jesus. And then you can begin to teach wisdom to your children. And what you're doing is you are changing the direction. You are leaving a legacy. And now what was broken is now restored. And your children can now say that. I want nothing else than Uriah to be able to say, I'm going to do this because my dad said. Because my dad did it. Fathers can either continue a legacy or begin a legacy of teaching wisdom. And then finally, what we see in this text, especially toward the end, verses 8 and 9, wisdom produces character that becomes evident and recognizable. 
See, when we are living life according to the word of God, when we are living life with our hearts and our wills and our own selfish desires pushed out of the way for the glory of God submitted to the lordship of Jesus, it is absolutely evident in our lives. All throughout Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a female. And so we see some of this language here. You, you hear throughout Proverbs, if you've read much, you, you see woman wisdom and woman folly, and they're kind of contrasted. And woman, woman wisdom is always trying to lead you in the right way, and woman folly in the wrong direction. But see, he's talking to, and some translations of this passage, and maybe the one you've got, uh, tends to make this a little bit more gender neutral. I think in the context of this, I would say it's my opinion that, that he's talking to his sons. Because this is leading up to him getting ready to talk about the adulteress. Guarding your heart. Steering away from her smooth talk and her dripping lips. But what he's saying even before he gets into that, is he's saying, you need wisdom. And when you pursue wisdom, it's going to be evident, and wisdom will take care of you. And so in verse 9, or in verse 8, it says, prize her highly. Think about it, dads. Shouldn't we want our boys to love Jesus and live life according to the word of God prior to pursuing a female? Isn't that what Solomon's saying? He's like, don't worry about the girls right now. You need to get wisdom, and wisdom's gonna take care of you. You prize her highly. What happens when our boys begin to prize the standard of the Lord Jesus above everything else in their lives? What happens when they then enter into a relationship? They're going to live surrendered lives. They're going to lay down their lives for their spouse because that's what Jesus did for the church. They're going to honor their wives. But I'd almost guarantee you that's not going to happen unless they pursue wisdom first. And how are they going to pursue wisdom? It's your job. You can't, we don't have a promise. We don't have a promise that it's going to work out that way, but it is your job to teach wisdom in the home. And then verse nine talks about, she will place on your head a graceful garland and bestow on you a beautiful crown. Once again, when we're living lives, either as dads or as, as boys, if we, as we've passed it down through the generations, that all that denotes honor. It denotes the fact that there is such evidence when you're living a life that's surrendered to Jesus Christ. Nobody has to ask. It's like me looking at the guy that's giving me fitness tips. Apparently, you've put in the work because you look like it. But my question finally is, do you model what you're teaching? Do you model it? It's amazing when our kids see us come to them and ask for forgiveness because it turns out we're not just like perfect 
and we blow it all the time, but somehow we, we often play the dad card and that, well, I'm, I don't necessarily need to, I'm the dad. You're going to do what I say. What you're training your kid to do is to grow up and repeat it. I'm the dad. You're going to do what I say. What happens if we humbly go to our child and says, man, I screwed up. And here's, here's why I realized that. And I've asked Jesus to forgive me, but I need to ask you to forgive me because I, I sinned against you. When we model what we teach, our children are way more likely to carry that out when they grow up. And so finally, I'm just going to conclude with this and we'll circle back to where we started. Solomon's exhortation to his boys based on the exhortation from David to him leaves us with a challenge. We need to step up, dads. We need to step up and take the lead in teaching wisdom in our homes. There's no substitute. Nobody can do what you can do. I want you to be comforted that if that wasn't your story, if you didn't have that growing up, by the grace of God, you can start now and you can start a legacy. But I also want us to find conviction where the Spirit brings conviction today. Maybe you don't lack, maybe you lack wisdom because really you lack you like a master. You like a relationship with Jesus. You can't teach what you don't have. You need Jesus above all else. You need to see that you are not. You may be the, the ruler of your home and your head, but you are not a ruler. And you're a sorry king. There's a king and his name's Jesus. And the more that we grow in wisdom and the fear of the Lord, the more we see God for who he really is, the more we see how unworthy we are and the more we see our need for a savior. If that's you, don't stay there. I want to end with praying over our dads. So if you'll bow your head and close your eyes with me. I'm going to pray a prayer that Paul prayed over the church at Colossae. Colossians 1 says, So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And so, Lord, I just ask, God, that dads in this room, if they're watching online, God, that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God, that we would walk in a manner worthy of you, Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in knowledge of you, God. I pray that we would be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, that we would give thanks to you, God. You've the one, you're the one who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. You have delivered us from the domain of darkness and you have transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved son in whom we have redemption, God, the forgiveness of sins. God, I ask that wherever this text, wherever this message finds each of us, 
that you would just pierce our hearts and that you would transform us and that you would conform us into your image, God. I ask God that if there be anybody here that just needs to surrender their life to you, that's tired of trying to do it on their own, that they would see their need for you, they would see that they're separated from you, God, because of their sin, and that they would call on the name of Jesus. God, for those of us who are just trying to do the right thing in our homes, Lord, would you empower us to do that? Would you give us the words and the boldness and the courage to lead our children and to teach wisdom to them. And God, we ask that our children would be like Solomon in a sense that they take a hold of what we teach. But may our children above all see that they need Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.